0: Welcome to College Gridiron. I'm Ryan Gregware. I'm joined with Nick DeLuca, Jimmy Sullivan. Guys, we've been we've been working on this podcast all season. Uh, we have championship weekend, or I should say the national championship, coming up. But we have some really big games to talk about, uh, the Rose Bowl and the Sugar Bowl. You know, the Rose Bowl, will start with first, just because it was the first game of the day. And it went pretty much how we expected. Alabama coasted to a 31 31- 14 win over Notre Dame. Uh, it was played in AT&T Stadium this year, which was a little new facet just because of what's going on in Los Angeles. But Jimmy, I'll start with you. Was there anything in this kind of Alabama-dominating performance that stood out to you specifically?
1: No. <laughs> I'm not surprised. Uh, and I think it's, it's funny because we were talking about people being concerned that this was going to be really bad. Like this game was going to be a total blowout, and I actually would would put forth that on the spectrum of scenarios for Notre Dame, this was actually probably towards the better end. Um, they you know did not embarrass themselves, they held possession for a while, they had a couple of good drives, particularly one at the end of the game with Ian Book. But you know, the Alabama offense, I think what we learned, but I think we knew it, so I would say remembered, is that. There's so many ways that can hurt you, right? Devontae Smith is so good. They may get Jalen Waddle back for the national championship game, which would be nuts. Uh, They've got, you know, Najee Harris, who's one of the best running backs in the country who, oh, by the way, finished top five in the Heisman. So there's so many ways they can get it done offensively. And they were able to put this more or less away in the first three quarters. So I don't even know if we saw the full spectrum of what they are capable of, but credit to Alabama, and I was not particularly surprised to see this result and the way this game went on Friday night.
2: I echo the sentiment, Jimmy. And the thing for me was it re- it's a reminder that Alabama, this just in is really good, right? And they're really good sort of everywhere, whether it be offense and and they're an improving defense and Nick Saban is a really good coach and Steve Sarkeesian has done an outstanding job and will be rewarded as the head coach of the university of Texas, which we don't really have time to get into, but they are a really well-rounded group of, of a football team, not only with how explosive that they played on offense and, and that was on full display for three quarters, but also defensively, that would be the one thing that I sort of took away. And it's not, that we expected Notre Dame to come out there and, and really light it up, and we know what kind of offense they have. But Alabama's defense, which has had trouble at times, at least on this occasion, I thought was excellent. And that's the thing for me, that it's like it's going to be really difficult as we're going to get into previewing Ohio State and that matchup with Alabama it's going to be really difficult if Alabama is able to play defense in this way. Now, again, Ohio state's a much better offense, so it's not going to be holding them to 14 points. But when you look at Notre Dame in that game, they score 14 points, but everything was difficult, right? There was not a point where, as we've seen with maybe Alabama's defense earlier this season, a point where, okay, that's an easy score or that's a big play or, Notre Dame just marched right down the field on them and we're they're in great shape. So when Alabama's defense at the very least makes it a struggle, makes it hard, the game's over with how they score on offense. That's all they need to do. You can tell in the first few minutes, first series, really, Notre Dame goes three and out and the game's over. And, and that's how good Alabama is just because you know what they have to rely on on offense When their defense makes life tough, they're impossible to beat. That would be the one thing that I sort of took away. Now, again, it's hard to decipher because we also know what concerns we have about Notre Dame and Notre Dame's offense coming into that game, right? So you take the performance with a grain of salt, as terrible as that is to say in a college football playoff semifinal game. But to me, that was what Stuck out to me. We knew how great their offense was. We know that three of their key pieces on offense were Heisman trophy finalists and, and their top receiver was the guy who won it. And now looking forward, they're even getting Jalen Waddle back too. So that they're going to be unbelievable on offense. The point to me was defense was the question mark. That was maybe the only place where they could have been semi-vulnerable And against Notre Dame, they answered the test, and that was a really impressive performance. Alabama went into that game. Their offensive game plan was don't turn it over, right, because that was the only way that Notre Dame could win. They didn't even really try and air it out on offense the way we're accustomed to seeing because they knew their defense could hold them down they couldn't score. Really impressive.
0: Yeah, we were talking when we were previewing this game last week. We talked about the ways that Notre Dame could keep this close was, as you just said, get some turnovers, you know, make Mac Jones uncomfortable. They didn't do that at all. And the other thing was control the clock and run the football. And that's another thing. You have to give Bama credit because Kyron Williams came into this game. um, I know he just struggled against Clemson, but he had a fantastic year. They limited him to 64 yards on 16 carries. And when you do that and you're able to score so effortless like Bama was, you're going to create some problems. As you guys said, even when Notre Dame was able to get drives together, it wasn't easy. You know, they had to really grind and fight uh, third and longs. You know, they needed to really work for their points. When on the other side, just in the first five minutes of the game, Bama goes, bam, 10 yards, 15 yards, 20 yards, such an effortless drive to start the game. And when you do that, you open up the, you know, you open up the game. Um, As you said, we didn't really see the huge plays from Alabama. Um, And that was just, I think, part of the game plan was they didn't need to do the big plays because they were able to honestly control the clock more than we probably assumed. And at the end of the day, when you just look at these two teams, Alabama just had the better athletes, you know, all over the field. They make the tackles. They're running faster out there. And it really just has to do with how these teams were built. You know, we knew Notre Dame really didn't stand the chance. But if we do, you know, Jimmy brought this up earlier, the spectrum of outcomes, we really couldn't have had this be LSU-Oklahoma 2.0 where it's just a blowout. All the starters are benched at halftime. And while, you know, it did get out of hand a little bit, I think Notre Dame was able to keep them in check just a little bit. You know, they did cover, right? That is good teams win, great teams cover. So um they do have that to go home about. But, yeah, at the end of the day, Bama just had the better athletes. They dominated this game from start to finish, and I don't think it was really to surprise of anyone.
1: Yes, and and also – we could talk positively about Notre Dame all you want, but you know we've had discussions on this show about the state of college football and recruiting and things of that nature. If you're Brian Kelly, you are not going into a kid's living room and saying, hey, we were within 17 points of Alabama. That doesn't work. Uh, and I don't think Notre Dame did anything in this game to change the dominant narrative around them, particularly in big games. This one, they were just outmatched okay they do not have the talent they are not recruiting at that level no one actually thought they were going to beat Alabama in this game and the fact that we're sitting here days after talking about a 17 point loss as a bit of a moral victory I think shows you how far this program and really a lot of other programs too have to go to get to that level it's not even close and I think it's I don't want to say disheartening because that's a stretch, but when you go into a game like this, knowing that this is going to happen, I mean, not like, oh, well, it might be a blowout, Bama's probably bad. No, you knew it was going to be a Bama win, and you knew it was going to be by a lot. And we were going into this game talking about it in a lot the same way we would talk about Alabama-Tennessee, as bad as that sounds. But when you go in with that uh, and you are – in a weird way, uh, pleasantly surprised by a 17 point game. I think that also says a lot about where we stand right now.
2: Notre Dame needs to figure out how to get more explosive on offense. It's something I talk about all the time with success in college football, but it's, it's in a weird way, becoming closer to some of the stuff we talk about in the NFL, where it's a quarterback driven league and and things of that nature the teams that have had success recently in college football have benefited from really good quarterback play. And that's where you pull off some of the upsets or are able to hang with teams that are better than you. It's, it's by scoring. That's the way college football is trending and Notre Dame. There was a lot of talk about 2012 when they matched up against Alabama and how they were really trying to play that 14 to six game of, of hammering the defense and how they have evolved since then, but to me, they are still trying to play a a sort of antiquated type of college football right now. They are still trying to play the, we're going to rely on our defense to win us games, and that's not to say it's impossible, but the teams that are at the top are teams that are playing really good offense right now. And that's not to say that you can't be balanced, but you need to find a way to be really good on the offensive side of the football. And I'm sorry, Ian book is not good enough. Or relying on the running game and that's it. Isn't good enough. That's not, that's not where they need to be. You look at Alabama with Mac Jones in the, the assortment of weapons and yeah, that's great. Clemson with Trevor Lawrence and the receivers and Travis ETN and, and, and things of that nature. Oklahoma, right. Oklahoma is so good on the offensive side of the football. Ohio state was where I meant to go with that one, but right. Justin Fields and the, and the weapons and and Trey sermon has been so good for them. So you just look at offenses of the top teams up and down. Notre Dame is not anywhere close to that. Even you you almost feel like a, a team like North Carolina would have a better shot at playing a team like Alabama right? Because they have Sam Howell and their defense isn't great. And it's not to say, and I know that Notre Dame beat North Carolina, but you just look at things up and down. It's a team that could potentially be competitive in the same way that Ole Miss wasn't a good team this year, but they had enough offense and they had a guy in Lane Kiffin who was there and orchestrating who knows what what to do. And you feel like they're going to be competitive going forward. Even you know, I'm looking at up and down LSU with a win over Florida, right? Like they were able to find a way to do that against a team that, that was supposed to be better than them and and Florida in the same way, hang with Alabama. So it's just, it's, it's a weird dynamic for Notre Dame right now. And until they sort of shift their emphasis and the types of players that they are recruiting, it's not to say, Oh, well, if there's a five-star defensive back, we got to tell them no. But at the same time, there's got to be more of an emphasis on being better on the offensive side of the football because that's how you win in college football today.
0: Yeah, not to keep bashing Notre Dame for that, but they're not recruiting for today's game. You know, we've seen Bama make that change, as you said. You know, they were kind of a defensive-oriented, run-the-clock, kill-the-clock kind of team, and now they're, now they're getting in track meets. Now they have explosive quarterback play. They have dynamic wide receivers. Go hang 60 on you. So, you know, we see the direction where it's going, as you said, in Oklahoma, you need these elite offenses, and that is not how Notre Dame is built. And, you know, you can still get to the game with the style that they play, defense and running the clock, but you're never going to be able to beat one of these top-tier teams with the elite offenses because, you know, I think you made a really interesting point. UNC would be a better matchup, and I think I agree with that because of their offense. You know, we'll, t- we'll preview the Bama-Ohio State game in a second, But the one area that has gave Alabama some fists this year is when they face elite quarterback play. Uh, We saw it versus Ole Miss, as you mentioned, and we saw it versus Florida. So you need Ian Book. You know, he had a really solid career. He won a ton of games, but he couldn't win that game. He couldn't consistently get in shootouts as we brought up last episode. And I think that's what really did Notre Dame uh, in in the end.
1: Yeah. And yeah, we'll we'll segue over to the other games, but – Again, it's the explosiveness, right? Both of Notre Dame's drives seem to take forever, right? Their touchdown drive in the first quarter took, what, seven minutes, eight minutes? Or maybe it was the second quarter? um, Second. Second quarter, yeah. I'm all putting things together now. I'm sorry. But you you get the point. Come on, Jimmy. There are only two of them. (laughs) Look, the, the point is that... As Nick said, nothing was easy. And that's, I think, a credit to the Alabama defense. And I'll be really interested to see what happens when they go up against Ohio State because the Bama front seven against the Ohio State offensive line, to me, is a really good matchup. And I think we got a little preview of that against Notre Dame, but I'll be really curious to see how that goes.
0: Yeah. Uh, So let's move on to the other game, the Sugar Bowl. And this is one that I think we all have to start with an accountability check because we all picked Clemson. We all didn't necessarily think We had no idea what was going to happen, and so Ohio State kind of shocks the world. I feel like not anyone was really picking them to win, but they did it. They dominated the game. They win 49 to 28. That's your final. And when you look at this game, it really is the ultimate revenge game. You know, we talked about Dabo Sweeney's comments earlier in the week when he ranked Ohio State 11th. He said that you know it should be easy body of work to study because it was only six games. He kept hammering the fact home that it was only six games. And Ohio State was pissed. Um, We didn't think it would matter because of the talent, but it turns out they had enough talent to just keep going down the field and keep putting pressure on Clemson, and Clemson could not answer. Um, And another guy that I think, you know, we have to highlight, uh, Nick's been giving me and you a lot of slack and stuff because we're Jets fans and we're missing out on Trevor Lawrence, who's the once-in-a-generation prospect. But if Justin Fields is the consolation prize and he plays like he did in this playoff game, then, you know, maybe the Jets will finally be good. Uh, This was really, I think, the Justin Fields game when you look back at it. 385 yards, six touchdowns. You know, he just dominated this game. He showed toughness. He showed grit. We'll go into the targeting in a second. But, Nick, I'll start with you. What did you see from Justin Fields? What do you see see from Ohio State that led to this big-time upset?
2: Well, two things, a spectacular performance from Justin Fields and someone who sort of reminded all of us why he is in the conversation for being the number two overall pick behind Trevor Lawrence. Don't kid yourself. That's not going to change. Trevor Lawrence is going number one because he's a better NFL prospect. Part of that has to do with the arm strength, size, whatever. But it it was really a great performance from him. I, I did not based upon the body of work this year, and maybe you're a prisoner of the moment at times, but even what we saw from him last year, which was outstanding, I did not think that he was capable of this against this Clemson defense. And it and, and might go back to a an ACC that might not be as good as maybe we thought, right? And that's been a popular thing to be thrown around on Twitter a little bit, where Clemson really dominated the ACC, but how good was it compared to Ohio State, who struggled against – an Indiana or a Northwestern, but maybe we got to give more credit than we're giving to some of those programs. That's point one. He played; he was outstanding and, and reminded us why he is held in such high regard. Number two, and this was something that I distinctly remember saying, and I and I got to eat it because it was completely wrong. And this is the other thing where I'm, I do want to maybe pump the brakes a little bit on, on how well Justin Fields played, as as odd as that might sound, because he was outstanding again but a huge advantage in the trenches for Ohio state. That was, that was what made the game more than anything else. Cause this game was tied after the first quarter, right? And OSU comes out with a huge second quarter. That's really the difference, right? But they rushed for 254 yards and hold Clemson to 44. We did not in any sense of the word expect that Ohio state would be able to hold down this Clemson running attack. And then, When you get into playing catch up, it forces Clemson to have to throw all the time and their secondary being able to drop people into coverage and also still generate a pass rush was a huge advantage. So they really won there. And that was the other thing that is such a huge advantage for a quarterback. Right. Like and I'm not here to say, oh, poor Trevor Lawrence, because he's got no help around him. That's not the point I'm trying to make. But when that game happens and operates the way it does, it is really difficult to overcome when you've got two teams that that were evidently on more of a level playing field than we might have thought right so when when you go through all that stuff and the the rushing is where it is where it's 254 to 44 Iowa state could run it whenever they wanted they could run it on third and 10 and 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 pick it up and they were fine to do that too so they really controlled the ground and we said they wouldn't be able to run for 400 yards well no they weren't but they were pretty darn close And Justin Fields picked up the rest of the slack. So a really impressive win for Ohio State there. The last thing I will say about this game in in this way before I'll turn it over to Jimmy because I've talked a ton here. I I don't want to get into this idea that Ohio State won because Dabo Sweeney ran his mouth. Because if you're not motivated from the Ohio State perspective to begin with, like, I got nothing for you. It's the darn college football playoff national semifinal game, right? Like, I don't, I, I don't know what to say if you're not motivated for that already. So it, it's easy to talk about now because the comments are in poor taste and came back to bite them. But they lost because Ohio State took, them, took it to them in the trenches and Justin Fields played an outstanding game. I don't think that happens because Dabo Sweeney said, oh, they haven't played enough games. That's just a credit to that those two units and Justin Fields and Ryan Day putting together a great game plan. That's, it's not about what Dabo Sweeney said or didn't say. These guys are motivated going into it. If you're not, you're in the wrong sport. That's that's all I have to say on that, though. It's not, it's not about Dabo Sweeney. It's about Ohio State playing a great Sugar Bowl. It's definitely not about Dabo Sweeney. I mean, I, I don't think he hurt
1: on the motivation front, Uh, but you're right. And uh, another point I wanted to mention about what you said in the trenches, Nick, is that Justin Fields takes the huge hit late in the first half. And we can get into that if you want Ohio state's playbook from then until like early in the third quarter was pretty one-dimensional. They were running the ball a lot, short passes because Justin Fields seemingly was not capable of anything more. Now we saw him flinging it deep again, later in the game, Um, so maybe, you know, there was some healing there who knows, but point being that, as you said, there was a third and eight, they converted on the ground. There was a third and 10. They converted on the ground. Like there were obvious situations, particularly when Justin Fields was really hobbled by what appeared to be issues with his ribs, where you're saying, all right, well, he can't throw it here. So it's either going to be a screen or a run. And Clemson still didn't stop it. And that I think is a huge testament to the Ohio state offensive line. So a lot of credit goes to them because I think they're even better than maybe we thought they were. And they took it to Clemson in this matchup and and granted James Galski gets ejected. Mason Turner is not in there until the second half. Those are both big deals. Those both need to be accounted for. But at the same time, even with that happening, Ohio State just straight up ran through them. I mean, this is something we're not accustomed to seeing out of a Brent Venables defense, particularly in big games, right? We always talk about Clemson getting the early leads and they make you either have to come from behind when they're very difficult or, you know, they can lock down close games late. Their defense is usually that good. That is not what we saw on Friday night. This was a a real shocking performance from the Clemson defense. That's probably who I was most disappointed in just because they were in total disarray. Like Ohio state had guys wide open downfield. You never see that there were even more breakdowns that they could have exploited that they didn't. I mean, it was just a bad night for the Clemson defense and also a heck of a night to have a bad night in the national semifinal game with a trip to the national title game on the line. That was what most surprised me about this was just how poorly the defense played without, yes, a couple of guys, or a couple of really important guys, but still, I mean, they were communication wise, like everything on their end was just a mess.
0: Yeah. All year we've got kind of been ringing the drum of like, this is a different Ohio state defense than last year. No chase young. The secondary is worse, but the way they were able to play this game, you know, you get out to a big lead, and once you know that they're passing, you can drop back and it makes it easier. And it's not even just about stopping the run. It's about getting after Trevor Lawrence. You know, they forced three fumbles on the guy. So they were able to just keep getting home. And a Clemson's O-line was not able to hold up. You know, you want to you point to areas where Clemson really won this game. And you can't find any because, as you said, their defense got torched. It got gashed in the running game and the passing game. And their offense, um, you know, we expected them to score points like 28 the final. But if you told me Clemson was going to score 28 points, we all would have said that's not enough to beat Ohio State. You know, we knew that Justin Fields had to play better, and I feel like we thought he would. But what really surprised me was how Trey Sermon was able to just pick it up like nothing because this Clemson um, rush the run defense, you know, they were a top three in the nation. They were only giving up 2.8 yards to carry going into this game. And he was able to go for 193 and a touchdown. And as you were talking about earlier, third and eights, third and tens, they were able to run it, and he was able to just get first downs, fight for yards every single play. So that was something that really uh, stood out to me. But let's shift to something you guys brought up. I'd say it's probably the turning point in the game. They hit on Justin Fields midway through the second quarter. It's uh, third and 13 for Ohio State. They're up 21-14. It's still anyone's game. Justin Fields scrambles. He takes a big hit from – Senior linebacker, James Skalski. And I feel like for me, you know, I'll ask you guys in a second. When I saw this hit in real time, I was like, I didn't think anything of targeting. I thought it was just a big hit. Justin Fields goes down, and it looks like he would be seriously hurt. Uh, His status would be questioned. And then they call targeting. Uh, Justin Fields takes one playoff. He comes back. He throws a touchdown. It was really domination from that point on. But going back to the targeting call, you know, targeting something that gets discussed a lot in college football, Some hate the rule, some love it, some say it protects the players. What did you guys think about the call and just the state of
2: targeting? I I didn't like the call, but that's just me. And I understand why the rule is there, but I would also say that maybe there needs to be sort of a a re-understanding of what the rule looks like. And it may not necessarily have to be an automatic ejection. And I think that the, the fix is simple. You can flag him, I suppose, for 15 yards in that sense. But if the hit is not to the head, right, if the hit is not to the head, then I don't know why we're ejecting people. You can still flag him for forcible contact if you feel like that's really important. and, And Skalski should not be leading with his head. That's not how you're taught to tackle at the same time when Justin Fields sort of spins. Again, we talk about this with just regular targeting. It's a moving target, and you're trying to figure it out, and it's happening at 1,000 miles an hour. So I understand why the rule is there. You have to protect players, and you want to get those types of hits out of the game. There was something that I saw on Twitter that was very similar to – the the hit by Skalski was very similar to one from Ryan Shazier in Pittsburgh, which ended his career and and has uh, certainly – given him all sorts of issues and and things that he's now had to overcome and and deal with, with his is just general health, forget football. So I, I understand why the rule is there at the same time. it, It should not be a 15. It should not be an ejection for Skalski. If he's not hitting someone in the head, that's just the way that I feel about the rule. You can still flag him 15 yards. An ejection is, is forcible contact to the head. You can, flag for forcible contact regardless, but an ejection has to be that next level of the head. Cause that's where you're getting into protecting the other individual who's being hit. That flag is certainly there to just protect the, the tackler in that sense. So you can flag him. He'll learn his lesson in that way. You're not going the extra step of protecting the guy who's being tackled as well. I'm a fan of, you can throw the flag if you really feel like it's necessary I'm just not a fan of the ejection in that situation, but that's, that goes for the whole rule, not just in that game. It's for the, for the whole rule and in, in across the board. And it's not just the ejection.
1: It's also that if Clemson wins, he's out for the first half of the national title game. That's a huge part of it too. I think because you saw how bad this Clemson defense was without Mason Turner. Well, he got tossed on a targeting call in the game against Notre Dame. So he had to take that into account as well. And I was fine with the application of the rule because of what you said nick with the the hit by ryan shazier and the fact that i think targeting does not just cover the headshots it's just you know lowering the crown of the helmet in general so i was fine with that but you're absolutely right i mean 15 yard penalty or half the distance to the goal is i think it would have been in this case is punitive enough um I, i think you know, you can have a rule like this. The NFL has a rule like this. They're not tossing anybody. It's just a 15-yard penalty for lowering your helmet to initiate contact. So that is fine with me to have a penalty like that. And I think this did warrant a penalty. Did it warrant an ejection? No. And I think um, I- I've been in favor of not really making targeting ejectable unless it's a really heinous type of case um but yeah that probably leaves too much discretion in the referee's hands um and then we're gonna have controversy as to oh is this ejectable is this not ejectable like that's the next logical step of this but i think for a hit like that that is obviously not badly intentioned that is clearly not somebody trying to hurt somebody else uh i i think you assess your penalty. You explain why he stays on the field for the rest of that game. I think that's a fair middle ground where you apply the rule, but you don't make it exorbitantly punitive where Clemson is losing arguably their best player on defense.
0: Yeah, I would rather have that discussion and controversy that you you were just talking about than just have these automatic ejections because when the contact is incidental, you know, I just hate like just getting these kids out of the game And the first half of the next game, I think it's really too harsh. And it's something that needs to be looked at because that defense, while it was getting torched with Skolsky on the field, him getting ejected certainly did them no favors at all. So let's now shift to the national championship. Uh, Monday, January 11th, it's played in Miami at Hard Rock Stadium. We're going to have Alabama versus Ohio State. Alabama is right now eight-point favorites. And an interesting uh, thing with this game is there were talks earlier in the week about how it might get pushed back. Ohio State's dealing with COVID issues. And then you had some, like Nick Saban's daughter, go on Twitter and rant about that, saying it's unfair, we move it back. Some are even saying this is just to get Justin Fields healthy for the game. But it looks like it will be played on Monday. So January 11th, we're going to have the game, the national championship. I just want to know what you guys are thinking going into the game.
2: Well, I'm just thinking I want to make sure that Nick Saban's daughter is happy And we're playing this game in the right time frame. So that was my first thought with that whole thing. No, I, I, it's, it's, I think a product of the world that we're living in right now. And if it makes sense for us to have to postpone this game, then you do what you got to do. But for me, I I think all indications are right now that it, it seems to me like this, this game should happen when it's supposed to, it's much more difficult to deal with all this stuff when you're kind of relying on both the teams to independently test and deal with that, as opposed to say, again, the NFL, which I think has done a commendable job, but they're sort of all overarchingly under the NFL and they have a, a unified protocol, which is much easier to deal with. I think it's going to be an uphill battle again for Ohio state. I love what I've seen from Alabama throughout the duration of this season. And it's hard to think of a reason why, you would love what you've seen because they've been so good. And, you know, I, I, Ohio state, you feel uncomfortable doubting them after such a, a big win against Clemson, but this Alabama team, I'm telling you, they are just, they are as good as it gets in college football. I mean, when have we seen a team have three players on their offense, be Heisman trophy finalists, this just, this doesn't happen. Right. So, I just – I love what I've seen from them throughout this season. They're averaging just a touch under 50 points a game. I, they're just they, – they are incredibly good. And, and then when you shift over to the defensive side of the ball and the encouraging things that we've seen from them against Notre Dame and things as of late, again, the matchup in what you're, you're hoping to see. Alabama has not been great against the run this season which is going to be something that they're going to have to be ultra concerned about and have to, to show up against the run. I mean, that's, that's going to be where this game is won for Alabama, but at the same time, you feel like even, even if they can't stop the run maybe as well as they like Ohio state's got to score with Alabama. And that is a really tall task.
1: Let's also remember too, we were talking about the idea of pushing back the game not only would it help Ohio State, but you have a guy in jail and Waddle who may be back for the national title game. The more days you push it back, that moves to he's probably going to be back. So I think that needs to be accounted for as well. I know Nick Saban's daughter has since deactivated or maybe even deleted her account. I'm not sure about that. Anyway, that's a sidebar to this.
2: Who do you think was in charge of that, Jimmy? <laughs> who
1: told her to delete it? Yeah, I... I have no idea, but I, I think I think he shows up in commercials for Aflac, if I'm not yep. mistaken. Uh, but we'll have to we'll have to check out that anyway. That is a sidebar to this. I think Ohio State can play with Alabama. Uh, this is the type of team at the right time that gives Alabama problems. Big plays downfield, good in the running game. Now Justin Fields is probably going to have to do what he did against Clemson again. Uh, I know that seems. Crazy. Could it happen? Yeah, could happen. Um, We'll see exactly what his status is. I mean, he's playing, but how healthy he is, I think, still to be determined. But you look at the Alabama offense, and it's similar in one sense to what we saw with LSU last year, where there was just NFL all over the field, right? Clyde Edwards-Alaire, Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, Joe Burrow, the number one pick, maybe the greatest season in the history of college football. Look at this Alabama offense, and it's the same way. Najee Harris is going to be playing on Sundays. Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddle, possibly. Mac Jones could be as well. Like, you have so much talent everywhere, and that's going to be difficult for Ohio State to stop, and we've been talking all year. This defense is not what it was last year. They had two of the top three picks in the draft. On their defense, they're gone. They would really like to have those guys in this game. They won't. So – I do think this will be maybe closer than some people think. It's a really good matchup, though, and I'm really looking forward to it. Like this has the potential, I think, to be a really, really great national championship game.
0: Yeah, I think by the time both teams get on the field, there won't be this massive Alabama advantage. And to what we were talking about earlier, the matchup for Ohio State, uh, looking into the numbers, they can rush the, they they can run the football, and they can stop the run. And uh, that's what they have. They have that advantage over Alabama right now. Now in the passing game, Mac Jones has been phenomenal. He's thrown at Avante Smith. If Jalen Waddle comes back, that just gives him another weapon. But Justin Fields, you know, we just saw him play a special game. It should be noted also that Chris Olave was out versus Northwestern when a lot of people were down on Justin Fields. And when he came back, Justin Fields obviously popped off and was a much better player. And last time these teams met in the national championship, we had a monster Zeke game, and I could see the same with Trey Sermon here. Uh, he's the hottest running back in college football, two straight monster games. And the way that they play offense, they will be able to score against Alabama. I know their defense is great, but they're going to be able to score. Alabama is obviously going to be able to put up points against anyone. I think this will be a shootout, points back and forth. And as you talked about earlier, I think this has the potential to be an all-time classic, one where right now the overset set at 75 that's really high, but that's reasonable because these are two dynamic offenses. We're gonna keep scoring points.
1: Yeah, I'm taking the over. I'm gonna put my pick out now. How about that? I'm gonna I'm gonna give you numbers, everything. I'm gonna go Alabama 49, Ohio State 43. I've got the over. I'm confident in that. I think there's gonna be a lot of points, a lot of big plays. I think Justin Fields is gonna have another great game, but I'm not sure it'll be enough today in this one because Alabama has the capabilities to match that and more offensively because they've got so much talent and this is an incredible offense for Alabama. And in a shootout like this, I'm going to give them the advantage. So Bama by six, I'm taking the over. And I think it's going to be a great game.
2: I echo you, Jimmy, on the over. Cause I don't know how this game ever goes under, especially with Alabama's offense and what we've seen on the explosive side from Ohio State as well. So I'll, I'll take the over in that one. I'm not sure, I'm trying to think of where, where I want to go with this one. I'm, I'm right around where you are, are talking, Jimmy, for the score and I'll ballpark it. I'll say 49-42 Alabama. I don't know that they're going to cover the spread. It's going to be a high scoring game. I don't think that Ohio State will be able to do enough to match how good Bama has been on offense. So give me Alabama to win the national title. I'm going to loan Wolf this guys. I'm going to pick the upset here. Um,
0: you know, I've seen Bama getting some fits with Ole Miss and Florida. Obviously those teams have top tier quarterbacks. Justin Fields is better than both. I think that the way he's playing football, the way Ohio state is looking going into this game, they have all the confidence in the world. They don't want to hear that they're eight point dogs. They were just seven and a half point dogs. Versus Clemson, give me Ohio state 42 or 45 Bama 42 in an upset. Justin Fields completes the dream season, legendary playoff run. I like Ohio state to win this one.
1: I just want to say, I think Georgia made the right call keeping Jake from over Justin Fields.
0: Yeah. totally.
1: <laughs> um, so I think
0: that's just about going to do it for us. We'll be back next week, recapping the national championship. It should be a great game. Um, Yeah, everyone enjoy, stay safe, and stay tuned.